Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hello, good morning. This is Ken Murray and welcome to The Michael Reed Show. Coming up, we talk to Fianna Fáil candidate in Loud East Meath, Declan Brannock, Audrey Fergus of Solidarity People Before Profit, Independent Albert Byrne, and we'll also be talking to Aintu councillor Emer Tobin, who is running in Mead East. Members of the TUI go on one-day strike over two-tier pay. We hear their grievance. And Mary Daly of Cran Support Services talks to us about the childcare national protest tomorrow. We'll also be hearing about recent rent increases in the Loud Mead area over the past four years. If you do want to get in touch, our WhatsApp and text number is 86 658 and our phone number is 1-850-715-958. But first, in our series of one-to-one interviews with candidates, I'm joined by Declan Brannock, Fianna Fáil candidate in Loud East Mead. Declan is originally from Knockbridge in North Loud, is a teacher by profession and has been a TD in the last all uh, for Fianna Fáil. First of all, Declan, uh, can I begin by asking you, um, the latest opinion poll shows that Sinn Féin are the most popular choice of voters in the country. I mean, do you accept that Fianna Fáil is not getting its message out uh, in a way that people are saying what Sinn Féin is offering appeals to the ordinary voter? Uh, I don't think that's the case. I'm certainly on the doors and will have every door wrapped in the area that has been given to me. If you ask me for an analysis of the current poll, uh, 17% of people are still undecided. Uh, There's certainly uh, a change in or an apparent change in, in, in popularity. Uh, but that will not necessarily translate into seats because of the numbers of candidates that are being run by the particular parties. Uh, you know, I think Sinn Féin have very, very populist ideas that resonate with people. You know, a border poll within five years. Uh, Pierce Doherty, and I'm not here to publicise him, very, very strong on the issue of public liability insurance. But my party has equally been as strong. And the you know, the various issues on the doorsteps that I'm getting, Fianna Fáil hope to have solutions for them. I'm very sceptical myself, Ken, of manifestos and what people promise on election time. It's about delivery. But equally, when you come to a poll, the only poll that counts is when those ballot boxes are emptied. But I feel, 
as somebody who has tried to represent the people of Loud to the best of my ability, not just on the council of, for almost 30 years, but in the Dáil for the last four, that my office that deals day and daily with issues, in fact, we've had over 6,000 representations in four years, maybe not all successful, that I was acutely aware and am acutely aware of what the issues are and how they need to be addressed. They all can't be solved but I believe that Fianna Fáil have learned lessons of the past and I do believe that the message on the strap line that we're getting across, you say maybe we're not, that we want to have an Ireland for all and I believe that people want change on the doorstep. How that change will happen uh, can be difficult to assess and that will happen on the day sure, of the election. Uh, but, 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 yeah, yeah, sorry, Ken, yeah, but, I, but I want to make it very, very clear. Uh, I will not be... Party leader has said that we will not be uh, going into government with Sinn Féin, and that is the reality of it. I, sound, I know it sounds arrogant, but we believe that they're not fit at this minute and time in relation to how they operate. Indeed, if you look at the loss of public representatives, the major loss of public representatives uh, over the last number of years due to bullying. If you read Maria Cahill's take on the issue of sex abuse, on the issue of how People have been treated by them. And lastly, but not leastly, Pather Tobin, who on your programme here last week, you know, while he tried to compare how Fianna Fáil operate in terms of their Ard Corla and the Parliamentary Party, couldn't be further from the mark in terms of how Sinn Féin operate in terms of the shady individuals that are controlling uh, the Ard Corla of Sinn Féin. Okay, well, look, I, I'm old enough to remember Porrick Flynn saying Fianna Fáil is not in the business of coalition and... Uh, Charlie Hawhey did a deal with his enemy Desi O'Malley and the Progressive Democrats nobody thought after the last election you would do a deal uh, with Fine Gael but you did what I'm saying is numbers dictate and you know you can go through the, 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 the good and the bad and the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the don'ts of Sinn Féin and their uh, if you like their association with the IRA and so on but the numbers are indicating that the public, the public want change. And what I'm saying to you is that if Fianna Fáil does well in this election and Sinn Féin does well in this election, you have a choice. It's either confidence and supply with Fine Gael or confidence and supply with Sinn Féin. Given the choice, will you opt for Sinn Féin because they're from the Republican family, they're, they're more greener, we'll say, than Fine Gael, or will you go back and do a deal with Fine Gael whereby Fine Gael will be on the opposition bench? I'm not going to be, going to be repetitive. I already said we've ruled out Sinn Féin. I think the electorate, that's what democracy is about, will dictate the fallout of seats. And ultimately, ultimately, Ken... When the doll numbers are hashed and rehashed, it took 72 days to form that confidence supply arrangement. Fianna Fáil would like to be at the centre of the decision making. And I believe we're, we're on mark for that. What that combination is a matter for the electorate to throw up. And I believe the electorate are a hugely intelligent people who, believe it or not, don't trust many parties or any party. And they want to see us get down and do the business. You've experienced me in Dáil Éireann, Ken, uh, uh, as a reporter there for the four years I was there. You know I'm not slow to stand up and give my view, not necessarily the party's view. And my aim 
for the people of this constituency of Loudoun Coastal Mead is to represent them with passion and diligence to okay. the best of my okay. ability okay. on every issue. Okay, let me move on. Let's move on to the bread and butter issues. Uh, you're a teacher by profession. Members of the Teachers Union of Ireland are out on protest today over two-tier pay and reduced salaries for new entrants, which has been the case, I think, since about 2011. I mean, if Fianna Fáil get into government, what will you do for these young teachers who are struggling to pay rent, struggling to deal with the uh, excessive cost of living? Uh, firstly, to say it's not just about teachers and the teacher strike is the focus for today. I could not stand in a staff room. And by the way, the same applies to nurses as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I'm going to yeah, come to that now, yeah. Ken. I could not sit in a staff room or somebody doing the same job was getting less pay. We all know there's a structure in terms of age and increments that are available right across the professions, whether it's nursing, whether it's doctors or whatever, in terms of length of service. That's standard. But for somebody coming in on a certain date being told that they're going to earn thousands less than somebody else is unfair. I'm a believer in parity of esteem in relation to pay. And I do believe not just nurses. We have the issue of uh, school secretaries. We have the issues of community employment supervisors. I could go on and on. But for me to make full commitments on all of those things would be telling lies for the simple reason that we don't have a bottomless pit. But I believe that... It is a priority. Okay, but the the, the issue ultimately is uh, priority and spending. I I was looking at figures recently. Maybe I'm out of order or I'm reading this wrong, but I read that the current government is spending 880 million euro. This is under a billion euro a year in overseas development aid. And we are one of the top seven in the world. We give more per capita than Japan, America, Germany, uh, the UK and France. Surely that's too much money going out outside the country when, in fact, those who run this country, particularly those at the bottom of the pay scale, should be looked after. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I have to say that we've always been a generous nation to those countries who are in difficulty. And, in fact, it's difficult to say it here and there because I know there are many people where any recovery hasn't reached yet. But the reality of this is that we are a hugely wealthy country. That's why I said about Michal Martin's view of an Ireland for all. We have got to distribute the wealth and the wealth creation that happens in this country to the various levels, whether you're a student struggling with fees, whether the young family who are struggling with childcare. We have got to get our priorities right. And I believe that it's long over time. I've been frustrated in Dáil Éireann and people say, why have you not changed you know, the issue of insurance premiums? Why have you not sorted public liability? It's not as easy to get the legislation and get systems in place that need to be put in place for the people of this country. OK, let me move on to housing. Your, well, when I say you, Fianna Fáil are proposing a thing called a lifetime rent deposit scheme. How will that work? Well, I'm, I'm not fully au fait. There's no point in saying one thing. I'm not an expert on everything. But what I will say is that there are, it, it is styled, as I know it, as an SIA, which was a very successful scheme many years ago where people were encouraged to save and they got a tax. This is in the Charlie McCreevy days. This is the Charlie McCreevy era, era where people would be encouraged to, for, for, for every euro invested uh, in a saving, that they would get a tax saving through government. And I think it is a good scheme. I'm not fully au fait with the workings of it. But when you take 
that in this county of Louth alone that we have almost 5,000 people on a housing waiting list and that the biggest problem that I'm meeting on doorsteps with parents, not to talk about young families, is the ability to raise money to actually come up with a mortgage. Parents who have children who are whether it's teachers or guards or couples who years ago was viewed as the ideal opportunity to you know, draw down a mortgage are not in a position to do so. And Fianna Fáil, I believe, will get this right. I think we have to say that this crisis has been there for years. We've been trying to offer solutions. But could I equally say that we've had a report yesterday uh, from Echo Live where they were indicating that one for every one person who's homeless, 20, there are 27 vacant properties in this country. I've been hammering this for years. It won't solve the housing issue. I want to say to the people who are listening here this morning, one in 12 houses, whether it's in a village or a town, are vacant in this county for one reason or another. And I know there are constitutional issues around housing. But... There is a capacity, and Loud County Council, it took three or four years, even when I was on it and after I left it, to the compulsory purchase orders that were made on the banks, where Loud is lauded for having taken something of the order of 170 houses back into use uh, through compulsory purchase, way above any local authority. That was an initiative yeah. that I, I put in place. Sure. Let's get let's get people uh, uh, back into housing and affordability. To okay, purchase. I want to move on. Childcare is like a second mortgage for young couples who are already paying for their mortgage you know, up to their eyebrows, and childcare is like an additional mortgage. You're talking about increasing the childcare subsidy from €20 Euro per week to €80 Euro per week. I mean, what will this cost the taxpayer? Again, uh, you know, I don't have the figures here in front of me. I have, actually, but to get them out, again, uh, the interview would be over. The average cost of childcare for one child per week in this county is €172. Euro. Fianna Fáil are committed to helping young families who, most of them, who are trying to commute hours away from their children, leaving them in creches and facilities at the small hours of the morning to the late hours of the evening. What I want to see for those people, and it is happening to some degree, but not enough, the development of the M1 corridor to keep jobs at home, to also uh, allow through Broadband, we have huge broadband issues in this county, 13% of the population, despite the fact that we have excellent broadband in our urban centres. I know of many young couples who want to work from home, not to have to commute, and if we could get our broadband services correct, an awful lot of the pressures that you're referring to in relation to childcare would be relieved. Fianna Fáil's commitment to that will reduce... That 172, certainly by 50 to 60 Okay, Wh- what message do you have for farmers? Because when the UK does this deal, this long-awaited trade deal with the EU, the UK contribution to the EU budget dries up. That means there's less money in the EU kitty to be distributed amongst farmers right across the EU. So that means farmers who are benefiting from cap payments will get less. That sounds like bad days ahead for the farming community. What's Fianna Fáil going to do for farmers? Well... Uh, you know, Fianna Fáil mightn't have been viewed as the Farmers' Party many years ago, but I mean, I have had two meetings with the IFA in recent times. I meet them regularly as a Dáil deputy and hopefully uh, in the future as one if the people decide to elect me. Cap is a huge worry for farmers. Beef prices are a huge worry. They're concerned that their ability to survive is in question. Mm. And if that's in question, rural communities are in question. But in answer to your question... Fianna Fáil's commitment to cap 
is that in the whole issue of concerns around climate change, that farmers will be rewarded for what they are doing in relation to the miles and miles of hedgerow. And that whole issue of carbon uh, you know, carbon credits would ensure that farmers get a decent living. And we, you know, Ken, and your listeners know, that when it came to negotiating cap in the past, the people like Albert Reynolds, God rest him, came home with the goods and delivered them. And Phil Hogan, who's our commissioner has clearly said that regardless if Fianna Fáil get into power, that they will do as good a job with CAP, but equally do as good a job in relation to the whole issue of North-South relations and making sure that this country sure. is okay. an you, for you, all. You're, you're from the teaching profession. What are you going to do about ridiculous class sizes? This is a problem in schools all over the place, and we already have a problem whereby... Uh, and very briefly, um, Declan, we have a situation where some parents can't get their children into schools because not enough spaces. Some people might argue we let too many people into the country, but the infrastructure didn't expand accordingly. Very briefly, what are you going to do about class sizes? Uh, Fianna Fáil have a uh, look at in the recession, very class briefly. sizes, numbers rose. Fianna Fáil in the confidence display through Thomas Bourne, and by the way, his brother is my candidate running mate, and I would ask people to encourage to vote for him. Yeah, yeah, but in, an- in answer to your question, we, in the Conference of Play, have brought the class sizes down. I can assure you, as a, a teacher who taught and was a principal in a school, in order to deliver proper education for children, the class sizes okay. have to come down and we're committed to that. OK, Declan, in one minute, why should people vote for you? Well, Ken, good question. Four years ago, the people of Louth and Coastal Mead placed their faith in me to be their representative. That was a huge honour, and I have served that with passion, both at local and national issues. I refer to the 6,000 cases we've dealt with in our office since then. While some have experienced better living standards, I am acutely aware of the many, many issues that I haven't even had a chance to discuss, and I understand that with you today. The ambitions of all to either own a home or have a proper social house. The difficulty with the stretched health services, crimes and drug Right across this community, not just in Drogheda, and the lack of law and order, the crippling insurance costs, and the issue you mentioned about the whole issue of the agri-sector struggling, to name but a few. I want to stress, Fianna Fáil will provide that Ireland for all, and I want to be your voice in Dáil Éireann, whether that's in government or in opposition. Okay. If you, me, if you elect me. Thank okay, you. Declan Brannock, Fianna Fáil candidate for Loud East Mead. Thanks uh, for popping in. We have more people to speak to throughout the course of the programme, but before that, we'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. New figures from Focus Ireland show that in County Loud, rents have increased by 35.4% since 2016. In Mead, rents have increased by 31.3% in the same period. And during that same time, Fifteen, uh, sorry, 1,541 households were waiting on social housing in Louth, but only 1,229 were built, while in Meath, 1,996 families were waiting on social housing, with only 1,204 being built. Indeed, it makes pretty depressing reading. To discuss this, I'm joined by Mike Allen of Focus Ireland. Good morning, Mike. First of all, okay. Mike, uh, is the situation in counties Louth and Meath any different to other parts of the country? Um, well, obviously, this is a national crisis, so it's affecting every part of the country. But uh, Louth is particularly badly hit. Um, it's one of the, the most, uh, one of the highest levels of, of rent increase and uh uh, as anybody living there would know, it's, it's sort of experiencing over the last number of years um, 
the problems from being in the commuter belt for a lot of people in, in Dublin. So you have this uh, very successful eco- economy in, in Dublin, but that's meaning the people working in this successful economy need homes. And as prices have gone up in Dublin, uh, they've travelled further and further. So you've got rents being pushed up, in, in certainly in Drogheda and, and as far north as Dundalk. And also house prices being pushed up and, and people travelling further. So um, Louth is actually a sort of um, fairly uh, uh, typical of the very, very difficult circumstances of, of a lot of, of counties in the, uh, in the ring around Dublin. Okay, can you give us any figures, we'll say, about average rents? Are we looking at fourteen, fifteen hundred euro per month? Uh, we don't have. I don't have that in, in front of me, but that's the sort of figure you are. I mean, you get different pattern in the south of the county as you get closer to Dublin than than, than you get in, in, in the north. I mean, what we're, we're trying to do here is on our website we've got these broken down by county. Unfortunately, you don't get the data on these things by constituency because what we're we know that uh, housing, homelessness, along with health, are the biggest issues in the uh, in the election for a very large number of people, but. When, after you've said that they're the biggest issues, the next question people want to do is, well, how do I decide which party to vote for? So we're trying to get people to have a picture of what, how these problems are affecting them in, in, in their area. And there's a number of graphs and, and data there that, that, that people should go to, focusireland.ie, and, and have a look at that. And then we've got information on the, um, the different positions different political parties have taken so people can have a dig down into those and see which of them they think has got the best policy and which of them they believe is most likely to actually uh, deliver on those promises. Is there any evidence to suggest that since landlords were taxed or the, the, the government began taxing landlords that this is driving up rents because there are a lot of what's called accidental landlords people who might have bought one house and they would get a tenant to pay for it and it would become, a, if you like, a form of pension in later years. But because they're being taxed, they're pushing up the rents so that they still have the same income coming in to cover the mortgage, if you follow what I mean. Yeah, um, certainly, I mean, when we're drawing attention to the fact that rents have gone up, sometimes we, you, you, you know, radio stations like yourselves, we get a phone call from landlords saying we're blackguarding them or we're blaming them and so on. We're not doing that. We're simply pointing out what's happening here in, in the market. And uh, certainly during the crash, people who had bought uh, homes to rent out as investments were under an awful lot of pressure. And now the market is allowing them to, to charge higher rents. And you come across a number of landlords who have kept rents moderate and begin to feel a bit like fools because the people all around them are charging you know, 50% more and, and, and so on. Um, I'm not sure that the taxation issue uh, is at the heart of it. I mean, the tech, the there was relief on uh, tax for tenants until the crash, and that was removed. And some of the treatment of, of taxation of, of landlords has changed a bit, but it hasn't changed dramatically in the in say since 2016. It is true. What we'd say is that um, that we think that that the income that landlords receive isn't treated um, like earned income. Um, but it, nor is it, tre- it is treated like an income, it isn't treated like a business income. And I think there is a very strong case that landlords should be able to treat their income in the same way a business would. But that has to be balanced with that they need to operate like a business. So you can't have a situation where somebody says, well, I'm, and their business is offering somebody a home. So you can't say, well, I got, you know, I got taxed as a business and I've decided to sell up or move into it myself. Um, and now I'm going to throw the person out. So, 
you need a sort of you need people to have a much longer term commitment sure, sure. to their tenants if you're to get tax reform to treat sure, it as a but, business. You but, wouldn't get a business, you wouldn't get a car rental company and you rent a car and you arrive to pick up the car and the guy that uh, the sure, but, car rental company says, I've, I've, let, I've given it to my sister so you can't have it because it's a business. I know, but... Uh, and the landlordism the, has to become more of a business. Sure, the, the Irish Property Owners Association say that more and more, if you like, one-off landlords are actually getting rid of properties because they bought the house the rent was covering the mortgage, but because the rental is classed as income, they're being taxed on that, which means that the owner of the house is still having to pay to prop up the mortgage, and therefore there's no incentive to own the house as a rental property in the first place. I mean, isn't there signs that um, it's only the big landlords who are making lots of money, but the person who bought the one-off house, as I said, with the objective of having it as a form of pension in later life, that these people are being hit the hardest. And if this uh, sector of the market was a little bit more fair to the the one property owners, uh, we mightn't have rents as high as they currently are. Yeah, I mean, we do know that that, uh, landlords who own just one property are leaving the market. That does seem to to, to be a phenomenon. But the Landlords Association are just guessing when they say the reason for that, because unfortunately and extraordinarily, nobody has done any proper research to find out why that is. We would see much more of a pattern where it's landlords who got into really serious difficulty during the recession and are in arrears on their mortgage of the rent of the prop- property they've got to, to rent or the rent to buy prop- the buy to rent property. So there's over thirty thousand of those who are in, of, of landlords who are in arrears for more than two years at the moment, and the banks or lending institutions are are forcing them forcing them to sell up because it's not actually a very sensible time to sell. If you're a landlord, because rents are going up and you're getting more, you're going to get more money next year than you got last year. So I think most landlords who are selling up are doing so under duress from lending institutions, lending institutions that you and I bailed out and and very often that we own. Um, So what we're saying is if landlords want to move out of um, stop being landlords um, and they want to sell up, um, they, they have a right to do that. But we should have a system that the local authority or an approved housing body like Focus Ireland or Cluid or, or Respond or whatever should be able to buy those units if the family that's in them is otherwise going to end up homeless. Now, in most cases, taxpayers are already paying most of the rent through the, the HAP or the rent supplement system either. So it's very, very bad value for the taxpayer that we've been essentially paying the rent on, on a lot of these, these properties. The landlord sells, gets their money, and then we have to support the family in a hotel or, 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 or elsewhere. When we actually should be buying those properties when the landlord is, is, is moving out. I think the other thing to say about it is we need to think through, like I understand very well that, that people bought property uh, as a long-term investment for their, their, their pension and so on, and they knew they were going to, to, to rent it out. That decision needs to be taken more, more seriously. If you bought a buy-to-rent property and, you, 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 and you're going to take on a, a tenant for 20 years or for a period of time where you pay that off, you're not an accidental landlord you might not have thought it through, but it's not an accident. To buy a property which you're going to get a tenant into is a decision to become a landlord. And that's a very serious decision. And problems do arise. Sure. OK. Well, as you know, Mike... We need to think these things through. OK. But uh, I think uh, elsewhere in places like Germany and Austria, there's a thing called fixity of tenure. Is it time to bring in some sort of a legal framework uh, some sort of a legal framework that gives the tenant some sort of fixity 
on the rent for a long period uh, rather than the current arrangement, which I think is 11 months? Oh, no, we actually, in general, have quite quite good um, uh, security of tenure in general in, in the Irish uh, private rental sector. has changed over a number of years. So you get, initially, you, 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 you get a, a six months when, when the landlord can make a decision um, if things aren't working out. But after that, you get what's called a park for tenancy, which lasts a number of years and can be can be renewed. The problem is that the big uh, loophole in it, the big weakness in it is the landlord can move back in themselves, they can move a family member back in, or they can sell, and they can break the contract at any point in those circumstances. Because of the reasons that you've spoken about, that because a lot of landlords went in um, to, 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 to property not as as a business, but as a sort of a temporary measure and as an investment that was built into the system. But because we're now in a crisis, that issue, which was a marginal nuisance uh, in a properly functioning rental market, is now a massive issue. So the largest reason, the single largest reason why families become homeless is their landlord is selling up or the landlord is moving their family back in. So you, you know, maybe um, in the region of, of, of 50 families a month in Dublin becoming homeless for that reason. And so, yes, we do need to reset that. We do need a, a, a new deal for landlords and tenants, which is creates a greater sense of fairness at the moment. Okay, Mike, know, we're going to have to leave it there. Landlords yeah. feel that they're being very unfairly treated and tenants feel that they're very unfairly treated. That's not really a very good system if that's going to be where maybe a quarter of our people are going to live for very long periods sure, of time. You sure. need a system everybody thinks is fair. Okay, Mike, well, look, it's uh, an issue that I think we'll be returning to over and over again because as more and more people move out of Dublin to counties like Wicklow, Kildare, Meath and Louth, it's putting pressure on accommodation that's driving up uh, rents and uh, that in itself is creating other batch of problems. We're going to have to leave it there. That's uh, Mike Allen of Focus Ireland. Ken Murray on LMFM. Okay, moving on. And uh, as you know, we're having a series of one-to-one interviews with candidates in the Louth and Meath constituencies. And I'm joined now by Audrey Fergus of Solidarity People Before Profit. Audrey is from Dundalk. She's a candidate in the Louth East Meath constituency. And she joins me on the line now. Firstly, Audrey... um, Solidarity, people before profit, rise, all these names, aren't you confusing the public indeed with your myriad of names and creating that the, uh, well, creating the impression that you're actually not united on the left? No, um, I don't think that we are. Uh, if anything, I think that we are showing that we are an umbrella alliance, that we can take everybody and anybody in that is leaning towards left policies and truly wants to see a fairer and more just society and a sustainable society in Ireland. Well now, uh, in your manifesto, you're promising uh, a nationwide rent freeze. Fianna Fáil is saying that that would not be possible under the Constitution. So if they are right, the Supreme Court would declare rent freeze, if you like, illegal. Isn't that the case? Well, Germany's managed it. Germany, I think, is moving to, I don't know if it's a three- or a five-year rent freeze this year. So I would say go and ask the Germans how they've done it. Now, I know our constitution might have read specific things inside it and that there, but it is a total emergency, so it is, what's happening in this country at the moment concerning homelessness and the vicious rents that people are paying, sometimes over half their wages and indeed in some cases more, to keep a roof over their head and they're struggling, they're in fear of losing their home, so it's, it's an emergency. Call an emergency and act accordingly. That's, that's what I would say and that's what our party would say. 
Now, you're saying that one of your priorities is to reinstate full service at Louth County Hospital yes. in Dundalk. Uh, people in Navan have been calling for the same. Yes. People in Monaghan Town have been calling for the same. But I'd put it to you that the plan now is that uh, each region will have one centre of excellence. Is it not better to have one centre of excellence where the expertise is rather than three or four, if you like, satellite hospitals where no, the, no. The, the quality the quality of the care, if you like, is Less or substan well, I won't say substandard, but just it's just not there in the same numbers as it would be listen, in a centre of excellence like a Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. No, listen, we are all going on about best international practice in this country, so we are, and particularly when it comes to healthcare, we could be like the Cubans and a frontline community-based healthcare, which would which would halt the need to end up, we'd say, needing critical care down the line. But just just to point out, I was up at Drogheda this morning, so I was I'm at the train station for commuters from six o'clock, right, and. It's criminal, right, the way that we have centralised jobs, services and uh, like hospitals and that there. We've, we've centralised them to these key points around the countryside. There is no reason why we can't fully fund functioning hospitals and services more local to people to stop them having to commute and um, to work and then to stop people having to travel long distances to get these, these treatments that they need or diagnostics that they need. And I think that if we had a fairer society, if we, if, if we created a society that we could retain these these jobs, these expertise by having better rents, um, uh, free childcare, uh, you know, you know all the things you said that that would ease people's lives. I think we we could retain these uh, experts that we need to work within these services and open them up more locally for people. Other other countries manage it. The money is there. If we can draw down the wealth that's going up and out of this country, I think that we could spread it out a bit more and we could make it better for people in a lot of areas, particularly in health. Now, you're saying we should copy the Portuguese model whereby the use and misuse of drugs is treated through healthcare. Yes. H- how would that work? Well, I think, first of all, um, if you decriminalise it, then you recognise that people are... Added. We use drugs. We use drugs recreationally in this country. We've done for decades. And it's stupid to keep putting our heads in the sand and, and thinking that it only happens to lower socioeconomic groups. Indeed, Lots of people would say use it and people in the upper echelons of society are using it and not getting their hands dirty or having to deal with criminals or getting it delivered by taxi. So there was a scandal a couple of years ago where taxi drivers were going to the leafy suburbs of Dublin, picking up their fares, dropping them off in the city centre for the night out and included in the price was their cocaine or whatever. So we have to get real right on what's happening out there with drugs. Alcohol doesn't work for everybody. So and and, and people they use their drug of choice, we'd say, at the weekend or whatever to unwind and that. If you treat it through healthcare, and um, I think then that you realise that that it, it, for those that are misusing drugs, because there's just two different groups here. People are using them quite, but they would say quite. Okay, but you, you you want to decriminalise the use of drugs. You want every youngster in the place using heroin and cocaine. No, ab- no, 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 absolutely not. I want to rem- well, I want to partly remove the criminal aspect to it, where the kids in lower socioeconomic groups and in disadvantaged areas they are being picked on by these criminal gangs. And how would you? propose to do that because every government in the developed world is trying to do this and it's not as easy as it sounds. 
to, to do what in particular? They're trying to get rid of these criminal gangs. I mean, by, by taking the, the drugs out of their hands, taking the profit. And how do you do that? You decriminalise it. You regulate it. You regulate drugs. So you want drugs freely available to anybody who wants to purchase? No, no. I want education in schools. Uh, on the, like, and like we have the, that. Like the alcohol programme in schools, which warns people of the dangers of the overuse, the use and overuse that, that, you, that you might fall upon if you use these mood-altering substances. I want to see it across the board, not just for alcohol. I want to see it across the board for all drugs. And I think we should regulate it. I think there's, there's um, I don't know, by, by the time some people get the drugs in this country, it's mixed with that much crap, especially at festivals and that there. They get sick. Um, I mean, we, I just think we need okay. to get real about okay, it. OK, Audrey, let me move on. You're proposing yeah. an increase, an actual increase in stamp duty on commercial properties. I mean, this is this is madness because won't you close down a lot of small and medium-sized enterprises who are already under pressure with massive insurance costs and the fact that more and more people are buying items online? Um, the, the stamp duty. Sorry, I'm, no, I'm, the numbers and business end of things now wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be my things. But but just to pick up just on one thing you said there, overheads for small and medium enterprises. The rates, as we know, they're not getting anything. We say back in return in their town centres, Drogheda and Dundalk included. Um, and if we had a state-owned and run not-for-profit insurance company, pub, uh, public liability insurance would be covered for people at a very reasonable cro- um, um, cost. And okay. that. So, so we we can reduce um, the, the the overall okay, costs in other areas. Okay, uh, we're running out of time. I'm going yeah. to give you one minute. Tell me why the people of the Loud Eastmead constituency in one minute should vote for you. Well. Oh God! Um, I think that what you see is what what you're going to get post election, and that uh, and people before profit. We're also advocating for a recall system whereby if anyone comes out with any wah wah before the election, um, and if it doesn't, if if we don't, act, if we change our minds after the election, um, they can be recalled and made answerable to the constituents, so they can. Um, I've been an activist for 40 years. I'm I'm traditionally I would be an organizer and an activist. I'm a wee bit out of my comfort zone. Would say going in for 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 politics at the moment but the urgency is there the climate crisis is coming down the line to us and I've I've just decided just to take it to that wheel okay. extra level now Okay we're going to leave it there that's Audrey Fergus who is a candidate for Solidarity People Before Profit in the Louth East Meath constituency Okay more to come we'll take a break Ken Murray on LMFM as I was saying, our text and WhatsApp number is 086-1800-658 or telephone one eight fifty seven one five nine five eight. You have been on the text and phone lines this morning. And it seems, uh, Marie, that the issue of rent, landlords, has bothered a lot of people. Lots of issues coming up. Uh, firstly, in response to the interview at the top of the show with Fianna Fáil candidate Declan Burnock, uh, John phoned in from uh, County Meath to say that everybody wants change, but nobody knows what they want to change to. Fine Gael won't go in with Sinn Féin. Fianna Fáil won't go in with Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin won't have enough seats on their own to form a government. So is it going to just finish up with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael again? I don't know what the change can be. The whole thing is very very confusing. My bet is that it will be Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael again after the election. Even though Sinn Féin are running high at the moment, they just don't have the numbers, even if all four, 42 of their candidates are elected. The numbers will dictate everything. 
May from Drogheda thinks uh, Deputy uh, Bratnock needs to brush up on his party's policies. Uh, Ken, just a quick note, I really don't think that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael realise that the ordinary person on the street, i.e. the squeezed for everything people, are fed up listening to this shower for the last four decades. I don't think they realise that the more they talk, the bigger hole they are digging for themselves. If they don't believe this, wait until Saturday. Mm. Well, of course, as the I public say, will have their say is, on Saturday. is the poll the Kents. Yes, of course. Uh, another in touch on uh, Marion from Drogheda, and I know we're going to be talking about the National Day protest tomorrow shortly. Marion uh, from the by the childcare sector, and Marion just wanted to make the point that uh, this protest tomorrow, people don't realise the crisis that the early years uh, sector is in. They have to educate themselves to a minimum of level six. And it is the most important time of a child's development. And yet we are prepared to pay these workers just 10 euro an hour. A couple of friends of mine have done a degree in childcare and all they get is an extra 50 cents. It really is in crisis. And this needs the support of everybody because most people are in need of their children to attend these childcare facilities at some time in their lives. Absolutely. And we'll be dealing with that very, very shortly. Uh, another says uh, Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil are near enough neck in neck in the polls but Sinn Féin have less candidates standing in constituencies than the two other major parties so how can this poll be accurate? A vote for Sinn Féin I feel is going to be a waste of a vote because they can't form a government uh, another, uh, another point to make is that the two big parties are saying that they won't go into government with Sinn Féin so will Sinn Féin stand up to the mark and will they form a government consisting of the left parties? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Of course, it all depends what way the numbers go. Amanda, uh, in touch from Rathoth in County Meath, say, it makes me laugh, Ken, when the candidates for the upcoming election say on local radio, I have knocked on all the doors in my constituency. Not one has called to my door, says Amanda. And another text Some, Somebody said well. that yesterday as well. Yes, yeah. and also another text <clears throat> in this morning to say, nobody has yet called to my door, Ken. All I am getting in is leaflets. I had one caller, one, and the rest all leaflets so far. Uh, Kevin from Dundalk, how can a Fianna Fáil person talk down to Sinn Féin after the mess that Fianna Fáil has put this country in over the years? All talk, I feel, and no action from them. Matthew Andrade says, why vote for Fianna Fáil? They only go in and sit on their hands. They are a waste of a vote. They had 100 years at it, says uh, Matt. Uh, why did Mary Lou in her interview on RTE News last night not answer the questions that were put to her, especially in relation to issues surrounding that terrible murder of Paul Quinn? This is what you are voting for with Sinn Féin. They dodged the issues and don't think they are answerable to anybody will bar their own bosses. Yeah, we're going to talk to Philip Ryan of the Irish Independent uh, about uh, Sinn Féin's poll position and one or two issues that are proving difficult for Sinn Féin to answer a little bit later on. Yeah, Just staying with that topic, Mary phoned in to say that uh, she is delighted that Mary Lou is going to be included in the leaders' debate tonight. She thinks that it has done harm to the other parties by Mary Lou not being invited to take part in the debate because she has been allowed to... 
uh, get away, as, as Mary puts it, with answering questions in relation to her party's policies. And that's what people want to know. They want to know the nitty gritty of how Sinn Féin will manage the country financially if they do get into office and if they do manage to put a government together. OK, Marie, we'll come back to you shortly with more comments. Uh, one particular text came in from Betty. I don't know if that's... Uh a local woman, whether she's in Loud or Meath, Drogheda, Dundalk, Navan or beyond. But she says, morning, Ken, just listening about capping landlords' rents. She says the TDs won't agree with this because some of the biggest landlords in the country are TDs themselves. So uh, something we might revisit perhaps later in the week. Um, now, we're going to move on because uh, you may or may not be aware that hundreds of childcare facilities are due to close across the country tomorrow as workers protest to highlight a sector that's in crisis. A march in Dublin has been organised by the Early Years Alliance. It's an umbrella group made up of community and private childcare staff and providers, uh, unions and parents who are demanding a new model of childcare to address low wages, high fees for parents and an uncertain future. Well, to discuss this further, I'm joined by Mary Daly, who is CEO of the Cran Support Group Centres, and indeed the majority of them are in Meath. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Thank you very much uh, for taking our call. First of all, how bad is the situation? Well, the situation is quite desperate at the moment. Uh, We can't recruit staff. Uh, very, very hard to um, draw anybody into the sector because the pay is so bad. Lack of investment from the government uh, is also causing huge issues. The point is, yes, the government, this government has invested money in, uh, but it has not got into the right sector of the uh, of the industry. Um, you know, I think about 80 million was invested, but certainly did not come down to the facilities, the providers, and most certainly the staff have seen no money whatsoever from them. Um, so, will you just clarify to me, um, is, is CRAN support group centres, uh, are you state-funded or is it a mixture of a state and, and private? No, no, no. CRAN support is a support organisation to community services within Mead, and we have some in Dublin. So okay. we're all community-based. We're not private. Okay. We're, we're ha- okay. So, how many how many uh, staff are we talking about here? Well, I would have responsibility for three hundred and twenty three staff. Uh, approximately two hundred and fifty of those work directly in childcare, um, and it is uh, ten services in Meath and two in Dublin. Okay, and in terms of the skills required for staff to take positions in these uh, centres, I mean, are we looking at maybe a a university degree or are we looking at post-leaving cert or what? Well, you're not looking at a university degree at the moment. However, the government are hoping to have 50% degree-led services, I think, within 2028. But at the moment, the entry level is a level 5. Um, that's the minimum requirement. But if you want to lead out a preschool, you must have a level six. So the majority of uh, educators within the sector are aiming for degrees and are in the middle of doing their degrees because that's what's facing them coming down the road. But they're doing all of this on their own time, paying it for themselves and being paid pittance to do it. And apart from those minimum requirements, you have also other CPD that has to be carried out, like child protection, first aid, manual handling, um, and other like law, 
you have AIM, you have huge amounts of training in order to deliver a quality service to children. And remember, the whole focus of this is on children. Okay. The children are at the centre of everything we do. So in order to deliver a quality service, there's a huge amount of CPD that has to be done. And oh. they do it all on their own time. Okay, now you're saying that you're having difficulty retaining staff. So obviously mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of churn, I think is the term, that mm-hmm. people are coming in and leaving. Uh, how is this affecting, if you like, the, the care that young children are getting? Well, of course it affects them because you, have, uh, you need consistency for children. That's the main thing, that children have consistency and that they can bond with the uh, people looking after them during the day. But if you have a turnover of staff, uh, constantly, then there's no consistency for children and their development is infected. And in terms of uh, pay and salaries and so on, mm-hmm. how does pay, we'll say here, compare with the UK and beyond? Well, the pay here is absolutely uh, appalling. Um, as I say, it's a ten, it's, it can be €10 Euro an hour for somebody with a degree. Um, if you go to Aldi, and I was reading an ad for a job in Aldi there last week, and it said €14 Euro an hour. Now, I don't have the comparisons with abroad, but I certainly know if you go to the Nordic countries, they're paid far, far better. And it's a different system altogether uh, over there. Um, but here, it is, it's, it's pathetic. Um, so you what, you, you're calling on the government uh, and private operators to basically pay more, but um, can I put it to you that uh, they might say, well, that's what the market dictates? Well, if the market dictates it, that's fine. You can say that. That's an out clause. And we're not actually uh, calling on pri- private providers for, uh, to pay more. We're calling on the government to invest more. But if you're dictating the pace, and the government are dictating the pace through regulation, through the requirements they're demanding of us. So they could be called a shadow employer because they're telling us what we have to do and what we can't do. So therefore, they have an obligation to invest more um, and and invest more into the salaries of the, the sector. And they will say, oh, well, we're not the employers. But okay, then if you're not the employers, they should allow us charge whatever we like do whatever we like, but we can't because they're dictating the pace to us. Okay, Mary, very uh, very briefly, what is the plan tomorrow? Well, the plan tomorrow is we all get on a bus and we head to Parnell Square and we will be walking from Parnell Square to the GPO and then from the GPO up, uh, GPO up to uh, Dolier. That is the plan for tomorrow and we're hoping and it's looking like we will have a massive crowd because this morning, one of our services received a, a card from a parent uh, and some uh, biscuits to take on their journey, wishing them the best to look. And um, yes, to, to send the biscuits in so they could nibble on them on the journey. So it isn't just us. Parents are calling for support. Now, parents are getting a minimum support from the, from the government. And we don't object to that because we know that childcare is like a second mortgage to parents. So we acknowledge that completely. However... It can't be done at the detriment of the staff that are doing their level best to deliver a quality service for children. Okay, well, look, Mary, we wish you well on that uh, quest for better pay for your staff. And uh, as they say, keep in touch with us and uh, keep us informed as to how you're progressing.
Thank you very much for talking to me, Ken. Bye-bye. OK, that's Mary Daly there, CEO of the Cran Support Group Centres who are protesting in Dublin tomorrow. Now, Marie, I believe you have more oh, comments. A couple more I might try and get through. Um, Brian Hannersey from the Drogheda City Status Group was in touch uh, in relation to the interview with Deputy Declan Bernock and says that the deputy does not view Drogheda as Ireland's next city in the way his party leader, Michal Martin, does and has declared publicly. And with that in mind, people should consider that when it comes to their vote on Saturday. Sean was in touch also from Louth to say that it's likely, if you look at the polls uh, of the last few days, Ken, that Fianna Fáil is going to be leading the next government because Sinn Féin won't have enough seats. Uh, and whether they go into partnership with Sinn Féin, with Fine Gael or others remains to be seen. But it looks like Fianna Fáil will be in the driving seat and that people should bear that in mind when it comes to casting their vote. Uh, another listener on the teacher strike, Pat uh, Facebooked the show to say... The teachers signed up for their terms and conditions of employment. If they don't like it, they can resign. There's no lock on the gate. I work in a local pharmaceutical company and I'm on the lower paid and I've no choice but to get on with it. And he thinks the teachers should be doing the same, Ken. So we'll finish on that for the moment. OK, thanks very much indeed. And indeed, keep those texts and calls coming. WhatsApp text is 86 658 or you can phone us on 1850 715958. Ken Murray on LMFM. As I said, keep those texts coming to 086 658. Now, we're continuing with our series of one-to-one uh, interviews with candidates who are contesting the general election at the weekend. And our guest this morning is Councillor Emer Tobin, who's uh, running in the Meath East constituency. So thanks for coming in, um, Thanks for coming in, Emer. First of all, can I begin by asking you just to tell us a little bit about you? I presume you're from the Tobin family of uh, of Padder fame. That's correct. Uh, I'm originally from the town in Navan. Um, there was seven of us, and uh, we would have eaten and slept uh, political uh, stories and had a very keen interest in current affairs and what was going on. And I suppose our parents really nurtured a very strong um, awareness of, of social conscience. So that has, has stayed uh, strongly to the forefront of, of all our views. OK, so you're a candidate for AIM2. We had Pather in here yesterday. Uh, first of all, we were just listening there to... Uh, Mary Daly, who's the CEO of the Cran Support Group Centres. I mean, if AIM2 got into government, if one of your people had a seat at the cabinet table, what would you do uh, for these uh, centres that give children, if you like, very specialist care and uh, attention in their early years? Well, I suppose my mum had a Nina for years, so it was something that we were very aware uh, of growing up. And we know it's extremely important to, to invest money in the early stage of children's learning. Um, there is uh, more and more people working, so there's a bigger demand on this service, so therefore it definitely needs to be funded. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, makes, it makes the transition into primary school much easier if children get a very, very good start from a, a, ver- a very early age. So we would certainly be in support of the Alliance and certainly a good number of uh, early learning centre owners would have approached me in the last few weeks looking for our support and looking to join them in their call for, for further funding. OK, AIM2 was set up by Pather um, because of his differences with Sinn Féin over abortion. Many people would say the abortion issue is settled, but you still uh, present yourself as a, a pro-life party. Um, 
I suppose what I'm trying to ask you here is, I mean, isn't that issue parked, done and dusted, time to move on to other issues? Well, the pro-life issue is still very strong in the minds of an awful lot of people in this country. Um, A good third of the population voted against uh, the repeal of the 8th. And certainly a lot of people, even who would have voted for the repeal, didn't vote for for abortion on demand and didn't vote for all the amendments to be be knocked back. So it is one thing to say that the the repeal of the 8th was, was, was voted in, but it's another thing to say that the current legislation as it stands was something that two thirds of the population wanted. Uh, let's move on to um, this call for a border poll. Um, Sinn Féin is calling for a border poll. It seems they can't get one quick enough. What's the aim to position? The aim to position is to call for a border poll. But firstly, we must set up a new Ireland forum. And this is where every voice, north and south, is brought to a table to, to air their views and give their position. This is not something that we want to crowbar into into our democracy. We want every voice to be represented and we want to map out a plan as to how we are going to go about bringing unity to this country. There are different factors at play currently in terms of the unionist minority is, is, is the state of play. For 10, 15 years ago, they had a greater hold on on. on, on um, politics up the north. Obviously, the demographic is changing. There's more and more people feeling that there is definitely an appetite today to bring about this discussion and to bring about all the different pieces into the into play to make this okay, happen. Okay, but how soon would you think would be appropriate for a border poll? Well, it's a conversation that we need to start today. That's the first thing, and then we have to see how quickly people want to put their positions forward. It's not something we want to keep pushing out. The time for discussion is today and let's let's sit down and pick a date within the next three to four years when we can say this poll is going to play, take place. Everybody can have their all their information to hand, which will obviously dictate how they vote. But there is no point pushing this in, into into the next election term in, uh, in terms of promises or whatever. We believe people want change. We have the Brexit threat still looming hugely over us. The window of opportunity to bring unity to this country it will never be as good as it is now. The, the, the Northern Ireland people chose to stay within the EU. So we must work with them and try and accommodate their wishes because it would be to the benefit of the entire Ireland. Okay, there would be a lot of people out there who have heard of Ain2 but not sure what the party stands for. I mean, how are you different to Sinn Féin? How are you different even to Fianna Fáil on the basis that you'd class yourself as a Republican party? Well, I've been on the canvas trail, I'd say, for a good year and a half between running locally and running um, uh, uh, across the whole county um, as in terms of, of canvassing me East. And I would say the vast majority I, has heard about Ainthu. So that's that's a very good positive start. Um, I suppose if you attended, Ken, any of our common uh, meetings throughout the county, you would see a huge cross-section of society. There's people who have never been involved in politics who attend our meetings and who have become members. There's people from Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Green Party and Independence. So, you know, our party isn't exclusively for any one party. But I suppose if I had to say Fianna Fáil um, ex-members uh, do make up a good number we would be different from Sinn Féin, obviously, on the issue of, of unity. That has always been a strong core policy of Ainthu and of Pather and of many of us who have been um, attracted to this party. But we believe firmly that 
Ireland would benefit from from unity. So, and you know, Fianna Fáil would describe themselves as a Republican Party, even even Fine Gael. So this isn't this isn't an issue or an aspiration exclusive to two parties. It's across the board okay, because there's benefits sure. accruing to the entire island. What I'm trying to explore here is though is how Ain Two stands out from other parties. I mean, if somebody stopped you in Kentstown or <clears> Nobber or we say Donore and said, uh, "What are you offering?" that's different from the other parties. Why should I vote for you? Well, we're offering a very practical approach to politics. We want to roll up our sleeves and get stuck in to the problems that are there. We are incredibly aware of of the disconnect people feel from their politicians. Every single door I knock on... There's, but, uh, a, there's, there's a sense of sure, but, uh, they don't uh, represent us anymore. Sure, but what so, I want to know is in terms of actual policies across various areas... Wh- wh- well, I suppose wh- the best thing to do is look at the work we have done to date. If you look at, say, Save Navin Hospital or the campaign to get this, this train back on track, we are incredibly good at, at engaging with people and getting them to become activists because really that is the way we're going to change politics in, in, in this country. We recognise the system is broken. We recognise there's only one way to fix it. It's pure hard work. It's getting the electorate back engaged with politics yeah, again. But, uh, some people we might want say, to restore their yeah, faith. Otherwise, I know, but, uh, we're not going to achieve uh, any listener might say, that's the, what all the politicians say, but what I'm asking no, you is... No, no it's different from the point of view that we have called out that the system is broken. Yeah, but everyone, so many of the political parties I know, but continue with the, the same policies broken. over and over. Everyone is saying the system is broken, but if I was to ask you about, if you like, unique ideas that aim to are offering the Okay, for example, with very regard quickly. to, say, green issues... If there's a few countries across the world that have Very taken on this now. idea of a green bank and it's a publicly run bank that provides funding to people to retrofit their homes or make changes that will obviously cut the cost of, of heating the home. Now, this is something that really, really makes sense. And this is something that we have put forward. And if you check out issues on, 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 on our green policies on Ainthor.ie, you can read more. But this is a very, very simple solution oh. to making lives easier for people in their homes. Okay, let me let me ask you. We only got one minute left, but uh, in one minute, tell me why people in the Meath East constituency should vote for you. Give us give us the give us the Emer Tobin, if you like, sell in one minute. Okay, I am passionate about trying to make people's lives better. I have a very strong awareness of that there is incredible disadvantage across huge parts of Meath. I've talked to thousands of people in the last year and a half. I've been busy in activism for the last 10 years. I've been dealing with constituent issues for a long, long time. I work to the nth degree to get resolution for people's problems. We are incredibly aware that democracy is no longer functioning in this country. We want to bring back a culture of accountability. We want people to realise that their best interests are going to be served by our new party. AINTHU stands for change. It stands for principle and conviction, sticking to what we believe in. We're running 26 countries across this country and all of these people believe that we can do better for the people of Ireland and improve the quality of life in so many areas across the island. Okay. We'll have to leave it there because uh, time has beaten us. Uh, that's Emer Tobin, who's a candidate for Ain't Two in the Mead East constituency. Got a text from Josephine. She says, if I vote all candidates, should I vote all candidates one to eight or is it better just to vote one? My advice, Josephine, is use your vote in every single box and make sure you do use your vote because there are people around the world who have died trying to get a vote. Anyway, more to come. We'll take a break. 
Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, members of the Teachers' Union of Ireland are going on strike today over what they call two-tier pay. New entrants to the profession are being paid in the region of around €36,000 per year, and some might say that's reasonable enough for teachers starting off in the profession, but the teachers themselves feel they are being treated as second-class citizens. Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by TUI Assistant General Secretary Colm Kelly. Good morning, Colm. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Okay, first of all, can you explain what exactly this dispute is all about? I can, absolutely. I noticed that, uh, I, I note that you said in your introduction there that many people feel that teachers are paid a good salary. Unfortunately, I, I, it, it, the, the evidence would, would say otherwise in that there are jobs all over the country which are not being filled at the moment because the salary isn't enough to tempt people into the teaching profession. The, the dispute that we're engaged in at the moment goes back to 2011, 2012, when new entrants to the profession of teaching had their um, pay cut well below people who had commenced teaching before 2011. Um, And we have been on on a mission since then to try and restore pay so that there's one equal pay scale for both for the teachers pre and post 2011. And also to make the the, uh, profession of teaching attractive enough to keep people in it. Many of your listeners are parents of students in schools that have had difficulty filling teaching positions for for extended periods of time now. We carried out a survey over the over the last couple of we've carried out the same survey over the last couple of years, but even over the last couple of weeks, we note that almost four out of five schools have advertised positions that nobody has applied for. Not a single teacher has applied for. And currently half of the schools that we surveyed have teaching vacancies that they can't fill because people are not entering the profession. Okay, uh, these cuts that were imposed in 2011, am I right in saying that these these cuts were imposed as part of the, the FEMPI legislation? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So, emergency measures, and yes, even though we appear not no longer to be in a financial emergency, according to the, the, the candidates that are currently running for, for election, right. uh, the it, measures it, are still in place. Is it right to assume that the... Uh, that the government, if you like, hasn't behaved in good faith in in restoring the pay, because if I'm right in saying other sectors have got their salaries back, so to speak, at modern-day rates, uh, but the teachers, they would argue, have been overlooked. Uh, Has the government behaved in bad faith, or is this an ongoing issue with other professions? It's an ongoing issue with a number of professions. This government, we believe, has has behaved in bad faith in relation to the teaching grade in particular. Because while there have been measures taken across public services, the the cuts to the profession, in particular to allowances um, that were available to to teachers pre-2011, have not been addressed by government in any way, shape or form. So a generic solution to, to, to the problem doesn't work for teachers because there was a very specific way in which the cuts hit teachers and in particular new entrant teachers. I mean, just to give you some, some some examples, somebody that's employed after the 1st of February 2012 currently still earns 10% less than somebody who would have been employed a year previously. And over the course of the first 10 years of their career, they're down €50,000, which is not an insignificant amount. And, you know, we're coming up on the, the 10th anniversary of these cuts. So there are teachers out there who are already at €50,000 of a loss in comparison to somebody who started months previous to them. Sure. Now, the fact that, that the TUI is going out on strike on its own and the ASTI is not, that 
could suggest that there isn't unity within the teaching profession on this. I mean, is that, uh, is that, I suppose, the actual fact of the situation, or is this part of a tactic that you go out this week and the ASTI might go out next week? Well, it's, it's not part of a tactic like that, but there certainly isn't disunity between the two unions. I mean, we know that our colleagues in the ASTI are currently have, have announced their intention to ballot on this issue again to refresh their mandate. I suppose, you know, we do our best to coordinate with our colleagues in the in the ACI and indeed with our colleagues in the INTO. But we all have our priorities, which we, we engage in. And at the moment and for a significant period of time, our priority has been new entrant pay. As I said, our colleagues in the ASTI are fully supportive of that. And, you know, in their own radio interviews yesterday, they they, um, they, they reinforced their support of the TUI's action on behalf of the teaching grades um, across the, the, the sectors. Well, now we're heading towards, if you like, the state exams in June. I mean, if this issue isn't resolved by June, by which stage there will be a new government in place, uh, are we looking at a possible withdrawal of labour for the junior cert and leaving cert exams? To be honest, that's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to borrow trouble from next week when we're engaged in industrial action this week. Sure. Our sincere hope is that candidates... Uh, running for election, you know, we'll, we'll note the action that we're taking today as a statement of intent and that whatever government is formed will, in their programme for government, address this issue immediately, in which case there won't be any need for for uh, subsequent action. That's our sincere hope. OK, well, what's, what's morale like amongst teachers at the moment? Well, <clears throat> I, I suppose generally morale <clears throat> is quite low amongst the younger teachers in the profession. For, for a variety of reasons. Um, I have to say, morale is quite high today. I've been visiting picket lines across the country. Um, and, and our younger teachers are, you know, are feeling a sense of empowerment and taking action on an issue that they have been passionate about for, for, um, for the last 10 years. I have to say, and I say it with some amount of pride as an official with, with the TUI, this is an action that's being taken by 100% of our membership while the, the outcome, in other words, the new entrant salary scales being addressed will only affect 25% of our membership. So this is the epitome of, of the collective looking after um, the, the, the less well-off, the, the, the new and younger teachers. And I do believe that our, our new entrant teachers are getting a boost in morale from that, from seeing their older colleagues on picket lines fighting for them. Um, members of the public who put in a 35-40 hour week might argue that teachers shouldn't be complaining because you get long holidays during the summer and indeed at Christmas and Easter and that the pay is proportionate to the hours you put in. What would you say to that? I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding over the number of hours that are put in and over the prep time that it takes to, to get ready to deliver a class. I mean, many, I think many members of the public have, have a, a misunderstanding that you're being paid for standing in front of a class and delivering your class. The prep work that goes into preparing for classes, particularly in, in this day and age, I mean, your, your radio station would have covered before schools that are, are trying to engage with new technology, delivering, um, delivering classes in new ways using interactive technologies. There's, pre- there's significant preparation work that goes into that. So while teachers may be standing in front of students for 22 hours per week, they're doing far in excess of that in their evenings and at weekends and over the summer planning their classes, developing how they're going to deliver those classes and developing resources for those classes. So, 
you know, I, I, I'd refuse entirely that they're not doing in excess of 40 hours okay. a week at the very just, least. Just, just finally, and very briefly, uh, Colm, if uh, the TUI don't get their way on equal pay, do you have a plan B? Well, there is no plan B. The TUI must get their way on equal pay. I mean, there's, there's, this is a fundamental social injustice. So there's no, you know, there's no compromise on the issue. There's no plan B in terms of a compromise. We will just continue to address the issue until it is resolved. Okay, we're going to leave it there. That's uh, Colm Kelly there, Assistant General Secretary of the Teachers Union of Ireland. Okay, keep those texts coming. Our number is 086-1800-658 and our phone number is 1850-715-958. Now, if you've been following the opinion polls in the last number of weeks... I think you'll uh, agree that the big talking point has been the spectacular rise of Sinn Féin. They had a bad run in the local elections, a bad run in the presidential elections, uh, but for some reason the public seemed to like the message that's coming from Mary Lou MacDonald and her team, and uh, there are concerns that... uh, Indeed, uh, that Sinn Féin could be the most popular party uh, in the land when all the votes are counted uh, on Sunday, although the fact that they're running less candidates than other parties suggests that it's unlikely that Mary Lou MacDonald will be the next Taoiseach. However, they are in the mix. However, uh, it should be said that Sinn Féin has questions to answer, and one man who was writing about this this morning is Philip Ryan of the Irish Independent, and he joins me on the line right now. First of all, Philip, can I ask you, uh, how would you... Account for the fact that Sinn Féin has risen so high and indeed so quick in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it is, as you said, extraordinary rise from what we saw less than 10% in the local elections last year, just in May. And, and now, if the latest poll is, is corrected, one in four people uh, intend on voting for Sinn Féin and Mary Lou MacDonald this weekend. You can put it down to, to, to one of the main things I think you can put it down to is a boredom um, of the, the same old parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, running the country for as long as, long as anybody can remember. They, they, over the last term, uh, the last four years, there was this confidence and supply agreement, which uh, they would, they, Fianna Fáil especially would have you believe that they weren't in government with Fianna Gael and they, they were completely separate and they were the main opposition party. But in reality, were they really? They were there agreeing budgets with Fianna Gael. They were uh, preparing for Brexit together. They were uh, Most decisions were run by any decision the Taoiseach made was run by Michal Martin and his staff before he made it to ensure that there was there was no blips in the road and there was no uh, disquiet from that end. So maybe maybe it has just become time that people have have decided that they they need a change from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And the the only real alternative out there is Sinn Féin at present. So it, it's it's they're in the right place at the right at the right time essentially. And of course they're they're putting a message out there which kind of appeals to a lot of people with with, with all sorts of promises okay. whether they can be brought through or not is another story. Okay, we have a television debate tonight, and it was originally scheduled to include Leo Varadkar and Mihal Martin, but now Mary Lou is in the mix, and no doubt Leo Varadkar and Mihal Martin will be trying to, if you like, uh, expose weaknesses in the Sinn Féin manifesto. You said this morning that there are gaping holes in the Sinn Féin policies. Uh, will you just talk us through what they are and what Mary Lou needs to answer to convince, uh, if you like, doubters that uh, what she's saying is genuine? Well, I think one of the things that we saw was last night on RTE again when she when she sat with Brian Dobson for an interview for 30 minutes. 
And her, her handling, Mary Lou is very good uh, with sound bites, very good performance, very able debater. But when it comes to the nitty gritty of policy, she seems to struggle a little bit. And we saw that last night when she was trying to explain to uh, Mr. Dobson what exactly, how exactly she intended to raise 107 million from a vacant site from an increase in the vacant site levy from 7% to 15%, the, the vacant site levy is supposed to be a deterrent such that, that it actually doesn't raise an awful lot of money because it convinces people to, to sell on their sites or to build on their sites. So she she says that, that increasing the levy from 7% to 15% would raise $107 million in a year. But last year, at 7%, it only raised 800000 or a little more than 800000 So that was, there was a question about that, and she kind of struggled with the detail there. She also struggled around the area of trying to... Uh, say how she would um, pay for United Ireland, a subvention from the, the UK that, that, that Northern Ireland gets to is around £12 billion a year. Who pays for that in the event of United Ireland? She seemed to suggest that the English, England would have to still pay up some money if, if they left. There was also questions around her own record, Sinn Féin's record of, of 20 years in government in the North. Um, the, the hospital trolleys, uh, hospital waiting lists rather are huge. There's, there's problems with homelessness. And even one of her key keystone um, promises in this election is to reduce the pension age to 65 uh, down here in the Republic of Ireland. Yet in the north, they have um, they, they have agreed to increase it next year to 66 themselves. Now she she of course she blames all of this on the Conservative government in uh, in Westminster and, and and takes no real responsibility for it herself. Um, as we know, uh, Sinn Féin have put Gerry Adams and Martin Ferris uh, out to grass, to, to use a term, and they're clearly trying to offload, uh, if you like, some terrorism baggage. Uh, but this Paul Quinn issue shows no sign of going away. And the fact that uh, Conor Murphy has indicated there was uh, criminality uh, involved in Paul Quinn's death uh, suggests that uh, Mary Lou MacDonald has some serious questions to answer. Do you think that tonight... That's an issue that Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin are going to focus on. Well, I, it was focused on last night again when she was on RTE and she was asked very specifically, would she speak to, to Conor Murphy? Would she ask him to apologise to, uh, to Breach Quinn as Breach Quinn has asked? Um, she said she would talk to Conor Murphy. She was very reluctant to say whether she would ask him to apologise or not. She was also um, asked whether he should, he should go to the Gardaí or the PSNI with any information he has. Of course, he, he has said in the past himself Mr. Murphy, that he spoke to people in the IRA about whether they had any involvement in the murder of Paul Quinn, and, and they assured him he hadn't. So, which leads one to think that maybe he should go and tell the Gardaí who these people were who assured him. So maybe they could get similar assurances. But yeah, they, yes, this is this is certainly going to be an issue for for Mary Lou um, in the debate tonight. Whether it's the presenters or the politicians asking her, I don't know. But I presume it will be one of the issues that come up. Um, separately, you're talking about Jerry Adams. Jerry Adams was actually very impressed with her interview last night and, and tweeted so uh, not long after she completed it. Just finally, uh, Philip, and very briefly, I don't know if you've had your calculator out uh, over the last uh, couple of days, certainly since the Irish Times poll uh, last night and the Business Post mm. poll on Sunday, but uh, as the percentage figure stands at the moment and allowing for the fact that Sinn Féin uh, are not fielding as many candidates as they would like to, would you like to call the seat numbers for the three main parties come Sunday? Well, a, a purely estimate, I would suppose, but I think you could see Sinn Féin uh, plus 25 seats, more 27 possibly, Fianna Fáil around the the 50s and, and possibly Fine Gael around the 40s. 
Okay, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. That's Philip Bryan there of the Irish Independent newspaper uh, talking about uh, tonight's TV debate and recent opinion polls in the Irish Times and the Business Post. More to come. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. Okay, we're coming to the end of our programme this morning and we're continuing our series of one-to-one interviews with candidates in the Louth and Meath constituencies. I'm joined in the studio this morning by Albert Byrne. He's from RD in County Louth. He's an independent candidate in the Louth East Meath uh, constituency and he joins me in studio now. Good morning, Albert, and thanks for coming in. Uh, you're from RD. You've got a background, I think, in, is it teaching uh, in Botswana? Correct. Uh, so you yeah, so you're, you're you're running for election in the Loud Eastmead candidate. So, or sorry, the Loud Eastmead constituency. But if somebody stopped you on the main street in Cullen or Dunlear and said, "Well, Albert, best luck. Why should I vote for you?" What would you say? Okay, well, I would say I'm driven by a belief in reform and transparency and the need for. Uh, early childhood education to create a, a, a better society for all of us to live in. So the issues that that, that, that are close to my heart affect all of us and relate to crime and and uh, other uh, social problems that we have. Uh, you know, whether I'm, I'm, I meet some of them already here from Cullen, uh, at the end of the day, we're all living in the same county, the same country, and we all have the same. Uh, we share the same problems. Okay, but in terms of ideas, what's Albert Byrne's big sell to the electorate in the Loud East Mead area? Well, okay. I think in Loudmead, for example, uh, area, we obviously have a, 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 a potential, uh, far more potential in the area of tourism than we're already uh, exploring or exploiting. Uh, there's a, there's a there's a, a serious problem with lack of work in Mid Loud, for example, and other areas. Uh, and I think uh, actually one of the big problems we have is the waste that's going on with the children's hospital, where we're going from six hundred million to two point four billion. That's one point eight billion of a difference. That money could have been reinvested. Into into local areas and, and and particularly in small towns, the, the centre of towns are not being promoted; they're they're dying, and and the government's not using any of its imagination the same way as it did in Tamil okay, Bar. Well, yeah, but you're telling me what's wrong, and we know all that. But I'm asking you, what big idea does Albert Byrne have to solve this? Well, I don't claim to have a big idea to, to solve all the problems. What I'm concerned about is the the, the 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 problem with the system itself, the fact that we don't have transparency in the way our government is run, and that and uh, that government projects can over run to, to such an extent that tax money is wasted and we don't have the money to pay for basic childcare uh, needs uh, when we should be having uh, we should be employing more creche uh, teachers, we shouldn't be making them feel like they're second class citizens and children their fundamental emotional intelligence is what lays the groundwork for a better society for all of us. Okay but all the opposition parties would say exactly that but uh, what I'm trying to get at here is do you have any golden idea in your pocket that can fix these problems? Well, as I say, I believe that if we if we fix the system, the problems will resolve themselves. Uh, I, I'm not going to claim that I can just wave a magic wand and suddenly Loud East and East Mead is going to be uh, a paradise to live in. We have a lot of social problems related to drugs uh, and crime, and that all goes back, as far as I'm concerned, to mishandling of the whole issue of, of drugs in the first place. Uh, we need to think outside the box. If we keep using the same solutions as Einstein said, then we're basically suffering from insanity. Right, but I'm still saying to you, I'm not hearing anything new that makes me say... God, you know what? If I lived in Loud and East Mead, I'd vote for Albert Byrne because he's got this great idea that if all the government parties implemented it, it would make change. Okay, well, I th- think decriminalisation of drugs for a start would make a big change. Decriminalisation? Uh, yes. 
Yes, I believe... I, I, go ahead. Yeah, why so? Well, because if you look at uh, Portugal, they decriminalised drugs in 2002, and by 2012, they'd seen a 60% increase in uh, uptake in treatment programmes. They've seen a, a significant drop in crime, uh, and people are, are not afraid to come forward and admit they have problems. Criminalising people who take drugs because they're suffering from the bailout of banks that has, has caused all of us uh, hardship uh, is, is, is perverse, and it's... it's, it's, it's is putting the head in the sand of what the real uh, solutions are. Okay, so you believe in decriminalising the, if you like, the availability of drugs. Do you think that'll go down well with parents of teenage children? No, but I say, of course it won't. But the problem is we have to look at the facts. We have to look at what studies show us. We have to look at what other countries have learned. If we're not prepared to look at reality, we're not going anywhere. Okay, in terms of housing, what would you do? Well, without a doubt, we need social housing. I mean, the fact that relying on the private sector is, is nonsense. Anybody who's tried to buy a, a property in Dublin during the boom knows the, the type of rubbish that was being built in certain areas. And that's because it was all left in the hands of the private investor. So we need social housing as a balance. We need equilibrium in the system. If we don't have social housing, then we leave it to the private investors to exploit the market. Let's talk about East Mead. Laytown, Bettystowns to Mullen is becoming an area that's filling up with housing. Um, and some people would say that this is putting pressure on those who commute. It's putting pressure on those who have to take out childcare. Uh, what needs to be done, if you like, to ensure that there's greater spread of housing development beyond East Mead? Well, obviously, communications is is the key. Uh, we have to, uh, you know, introduce, ensure that 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 there are efficient uh, communication pathways for people to get in and out of Dublin. But we also need to be moving jobs out of Dublin, not putting everything into the centre. Why we need to have everything in the, in Dublin and not, and not develop, you know, t- towns which are close to Dublin? I don't understand. Uh, the N2, are you familiar with the issues on the N2, people who drive between RD and Dublin every day, that they have to stop at Primatestown traffic lights uh, not far from uh, Ashburn and there's chaos in the mornings, tailbacks for miles, two and three miles every day. Are you familiar with the yes, issues? Yes, I actually have driven on that road many times in the morning. So, so if you were a TD, what would you do to address that problem? It's a very good question. I mean, I've, I've actually been in that traffic jam going to work in the morning and I, I, I've sometimes, I've sitting there, I've often wondered if there were uh, some kind of, uh, you know, roundabout system similar to what's in fin- uh, Finglas would, would solve the problem. Uh, roundabout system? Well, well in Finglas, they had, they had similar uh, problems coming into Finglas and they built a very elaborate uh, system of roads that, that made it easier for cars to go through. So I think something needs to be done because it is serious. Okay, I'm going to give you one minute. Um... Give me the Albert Byrne cell. Why should people vote for you on Saturday as an independent candidate for Louth and East Meath? Okay, well, I came from a background where I experienced a lot of abuse in my childhood and uh, I have spent my whole life uh, trying to overcome those limitations, which has made me aware of the need of emotional intelligence. And I've also gone through many different types of studies. I've worked out in Africa teaching and I've been driven by a concern for social issues. I've got, I've got a background in, in IT. I have been, uh, I've retrained in nutrition therapy so I believe that we should be all be getting nutritional evaluations. I believe in conform transparency because I believe that the money that's been wasted, billions and billions, could be clawed back if we knew where the money was going and we could stop crime from taking advantage of government. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Albert Byrne from RD, independent candidate in the Louth Eastmeath constituency. Thank you very much indeed for coming in. And that just about wraps it up for today. Paul McKenna was on sound. Maggie McGuire and Marie Kearns put the programme together. And I'll talk to you again tomorrow. So for myself, Ken Murray, bye for now. And Sinead Brazel is next.
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.